The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced in what they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. I'm Father Thomas Aquinas Pickett. I'm happy to be here to celebrate the St. Peregrine Novena here. Uh, started last week and it's continuing this entire week until Thursday. I, I was ordained here back in 2018. I served for three, three years up in Seattle. Now I'm out in Washington, D.C. doing some further studies. So happy to be back on the West Coast. West Coast is the best coast. So part of our uh, novena is we'll begin with our novena prayer to St. Peregrine. So if you'd like to join, that's in the, uh, should be in the center of your handout. O oh, great St. Peregrine, you have been called the wonder worker because of the numerous miracles which you have obtained from God for those who have had recourse to you. For so many years you bore in your own flesh the debilitating disease of cancer. I see God's healing. Help me to imitate your enduring faith in the face of my great challenge that I may trust the Lord as you did in your time of affliction. Help me to find the strength to proclaim God's presence in my life despite the anguish and fear this disease causes in me and my loved ones. O glorious St. Peregrine, aided in this way by your powerful intercession, I will sing to God, now and for all eternity, a song of gratitude for his great goodness and mercy. Amen. You know, before the pandemic, today's gospel would have been a little bit boring. But if you put yourself back in early 2020, it would sound almost like a scene from a horror film. Imagine, you're sheltered at home, working on a jigsaw puzzle. You're surrounded by your newly bought succulent plants. You've got your doors locked for fear. 
You don't want to go out. You don't want others coming in. And then, all of a sudden, a guy shows up in your room. And he says, calm down, peace. Then he proceeds to breathe on you. Now, I don't know about you, but 2020 me would not have had peace at that moment. I would have not had a sense of calm about things. The last thing we would want was someone breathing on us. And yet, I mean, what is it that we're celebrating today? We're celebrating the Holy Spirit. And as we know, when we translate an English spirit, what, what we have originally in Latin and Greek and in Hebrew means something more kind of like breath, or wind. It has the idea of air that moves either inside or outside of the body. For another way of saying Holy Spirit is saying holy breath. So even though we don't want people breathing on us in general, today, we actually do. We want Christ to breathe on us. We want to inhale deeply that holy breath, the Holy Spirit. And I know this sounds weird, okay, but it's only weird because we very easily misunderstand the Holy Spirit. I mean, what is it? What, who is he? And when we look at the Trinity, it's a lot easier for us to get ideas like, you know, the Father and the Son, because we have interactions with fathers and sons. We don't have a lot of interactions with spirits. We see fathers. We see sons. But the spirit? There aren't a lot of anthropomorphic images that we have for the spirit. The closest one is the advocate, or you can also say the lawyer. That's not going to warm a lot of people's hearts. What other images do we have for the Holy Spirit? Fire, water, air, energy, power? I mean, what is he? Sounds more like a character from The Last Airbender or from Captain Planet than something from the Bible. Well, you know, how about a dove? Yeah, it's cute. But what are we, bird worshipers? No. And often we know that the Holy Spirit kind of gets treated like the third wheel of the Trinity. Yeah, the Father. Yeah, the Son. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Cool. He's that odd, almost kind of like the butler of the Trinity. He's always being sent around by the Father, sent around by the Son to do things, to like zap people every now and then. He doesn't seem to have any value or dignity by himself. But that's exactly where we go wrong. The Holy Spirit, the breath of God, doesn't exist just to energize us. He isn't the heavenly butler. He is in no way inferior or subordinate to God. Why? Because he is God. The Holy Spirit is God, adored and glorified with the Father and the Son. And as such, he doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. He doesn't exist for our sake. We exist for his sake. 
We don't ask the Holy Spirit to come like we call over a dog. We ask the Holy Spirit to come so that we have the dignity to come to Him, to enter into His life, His power, and His divinity. God doesn't send the Holy Spirit like He sends some sort of ray of energy. God doesn't send the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit leaves God. God sends the Holy Spirit when we enter into Him. As St. Thomas Aquinas explains, the Holy Spirit appears not by a change in God, but by a change in us. When God breathes the Holy Spirit out, in a certain sense, He breathes us in. What changes about a person when they've received the Holy Spirit? What difference does it make that God has breathed on them, so to say? The first difference is that they receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which can be compared as sails set up in the soul, which the breath of God, the wind of God, helps push through the waters of life. A person who has received the Holy Spirit and who constantly lives with the Spirit, in a certain sense, doesn't have to agonize over what to do. They quickly and easily do what is great and heroic because they listen to the wisdom of God. Second, they receive charismatic gifts. This means a grace, a gift that is given in order to give to others. A holy person is not only holy for themselves, but they also help to make others holy. In a certain sense, when God breathes on them, they become contagious. Third, we receive the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And just as when you bite into a, a crisp apple or have a juicy, ripe mango, fruit is sweet and delightful and refreshing. And so when the Holy Spirit is with us, good and holy things of themselves become delightful and sweet. You know, for many people, doing things like going Mass or, or reading the Bible or praying the Rosary, it's like pulling teeth. But for others, for whatever reason, they take a great sweetness in it, a great delight. And this is not there by nature, but by grace. Because as Aristotle points out, if you want to really know a person, know what kind of person they are, what do you look for? You look for what they take pleasure in. A good and holy person takes delight in what is holy. But above all, the greatest change that takes place in a person who has the Holy Spirit is the forgiveness of their sins. St. Thomas Aquinas even says that the grace of justification, of, of healing of sinner, is of more value and glory than the creation of the entire universe. But even more than that, the Holy Spirit not only forgives sins, but he gives us 
in a certain sense, a revulsion, an aversion to sin itself. The person who has received the Holy Spirit has received a new life, and they don't want the old one back. They've become a new person, and they don't want to become the old. When Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the apostles, the first bishops, what did he also do? He sent them out with a specific mission to destroy sin. Not make the world a better place, not you know, make good economy, destroy sin. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Now, of course, when we're children, it's, it's very easy for us to think of sin as what? Kind of like breaking a rule. We have authority figures like our parent or our teacher, and we also have God. They tell us rules, do this, don't do that. If we follow the rules, we're a good kid. If we break the rules, we're a bad kid. But like St. Paul, when we grow up, we have to put away childish things. We know that there's a whole lot more to the reality of sin than breaking extrinsic arbitrary rules that don't make any rational sense. There's something a whole lot deeper going on when we talk about sin. And this is captured very well by the Bible because often when Scripture talks about sin, it has to use very complicated and very profound images to describe what's going on. And one of the most profound images, one of the most common images also, is that sin is like a weight. A weight. When a person sins, they start to carry a weight. Whether they feel guilt or shame or anything like that, whether, regardless of how they feel, the weight is there. It not only slows down their pursuit of happiness, which, as we know, is identical with holiness, but it actually draws them backwards. And why is that? Because very commonly in the ancient world, when they talked about the idea of a weight, they had a bit of a different notion than what we have in mind. When we think of weight, we think of something like mass or quantity. Whereas very often in the ancient world, weight was the description not of how much something weighed in terms of mass, but it was a description of where something belonged. For example, if you, if you hold a rock up in the air and you let it go, where does it go? It goes down. Why? Well, because rocks belong with other rocks. That's the weight of a rock. Weight was a description of the attraction that things had to things that were like itself. Things that have an attraction, a force to where it truly belongs in the universe. So, for example, when they looked at fire, they noticed that fire doesn't go down, fire goes up. Well, why does fire go up? Well, because when you look at the, you know, look at the sun, there's fire up there. And so they have the idea that, oh, well, the fire belongs up there, so that's why fire goes up. Now, of course, the physics of this is very outdated. But the moral implications are not. Weight is where you belong. The weight of a good person is God. 
they belong to him. They are attracted to him. They are compelled to him. But sin is a very different weight. Sin is the weight of death. A person may have in their life, you know, great wellness. They made great success and skills and loving relationships and affirmation abounding and, and wealth. But if they have sin, then their life is just a slow, steady march to death. No matter how much the person may try, they cannot remove that weight on their own power. Why? Because they've given it to themselves. They may ignore the weight. They may claim that there is no weight. They may dull their spiritual senses. But in the end, death claims its own. Today we celebrate the climax of Easter. What do we remember today? Jesus bore the weight of our sins on the cross. Death tried to claim him. But by rising again, he destroyed the power of death for not only all those who believe in his name, but who take up their cross, who take up the weight of being a disciple, a weight that is easy and light. He gives them the Holy Spirit, who obliterates the weight of their sin in baptism and does it over and over and over again freely in confession. He fuses them into the very body of Christ so that where he is, we truly belong. He becomes within them glory, the weight of glory. So today we pray, Lord Jesus, breathe on us. Breathe on us the Holy Spirit. And grant us a profound hatred for sin. Inspire us to confess regularly and well, so that we may eat your body, not unto our judgment, but unto glory. Amen. Now to conclude, let us offer our prayer to St. Jude. St. Jude, glorious apostle, faithful servant, and friend of Jesus, the name of the traitor has caused you to be forgotten by many, but the church honors and invokes you universally as the patron of difficult and desperate cases. Pray for me, who am in need of God's mercy. Make use, I implore you, of that particular privilege accorded to you to bring visible and speedy help where help was almost despaired of. Come to my assistance in this great need. 
that I may receive the consolation and help of heaven in all my necessities, tribulations, and sufferings, particularly and that I may praise God with you and all the elect throughout all eternity. I promise you, O blessed Jude, to be ever mindful of this great favor. I will honor you as my special and powerful patron and encourage devotion to you. Saint Jude, pray for us and for all who honor and invoke thy aid. Amen.